this to me is where we make the switch, right? When we have those initial thoughts. And I think it's really, really important that we see those thoughts because most of the time they are just rushing through our brain over and over and over again, like a million miles a minute. And it's a blur. And most of us aren't even aware of the thoughts that we're thinking and the damage that they're doing. They're spiking our cortisol. They're stressing us out. They're causing us to overeat, over scroll, overdo a lot of things or underdo. We're like not living the life we want to because we're so stuck in our feelings and our feelings do not feel good. And oftentimes a lot of us are trying to numb them. We're trying to suppress them. We're trying to control them. We're trying to just wrestle with them. It's like, there's this big ball of yucky, emotional, uh, and we're trying to keep it underwater. So nobody sees it. And it takes up all of our energy. Like imagine being in the water with a big ball and trying to keep it under the water. You can do it until you get tired. And as soon as you stop trying to force it down, it's gonna pop up again and hit you in the face. All right, today we are talking about trust and we're gonna talk about the spiritual side of it because we've already spent some time over the past month really understanding what trust is, how we cultivate it, how it gets hurt or broken in a relationship, how we heal through that. And today we're going to wrap it up by really bringing it back to where we started. We started with the anatomy of trust and really understanding that we have trust with ourselves, trust with others, and trust with God. Now we spent the last three weeks pretty much focused on ourselves and others. And this week, we're going to focus more on our trust with God, because I see that our relationships with ourselves and humans around us are very much a microcosm, macrocosm of what is kind of going on in the heavenly realms. I really believe that part of what we're creating around us is a reflection of what we're creating in the spiritual realms. And we want to be creating with intention. We want to be creating with divine inspiration and in connection with God. And so we're going to just quickly kind of recap what we talked about the other weeks. Um, Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about braving. We used Brene Brown's um, her, her frame for understanding what really goes into creating trust. And we talked about boundaries. We talked about respect. We talked about um, the vault and understanding that what is personal for me can't be shared with other people if I share it with you. And so all of these things, we're going to bring it together to really talk about our trust in relationship to our faith, because this can be a challenging space for many of us, especially if if we have had challenging relationships with the church. And I do like to separate those things out. Our relationship with the church 
And our relationship with God are two separate things. Our relationship with the church is very much our relationship with other people, right? It's more humans, right? That is the body of Christ. We are coming together as the body of Christ. And of course, God is in that. He's inspiring all of it. But it is separate from our relationship specifically with God. Now, our relationship with the church often informs our relationship with God for better or worse. And we want to just kind of break that down today because as we heal our various relationships and the trust and the faith that we have in those relationships. Of course, that all comes back to our relationship with God. As we heal our relationship with God, it helps our relationships with humans. As we heal our relationships with humans, it helps our relationship with God. For those of you who are new here, my name is Sapphire Lily Matonguiza, and I am your Christ-centered love and relationship coach. I help single Christian women honor their desire for marriage. I don't believe that marriage is something everybody needs to do. I believe that marriage is a God-given desire, and it is something that we want. And when we want something that is good for us, that God gave us that seed of desire in our hearts, we want to be intentional about the ways we go about honoring that. And so that's what I do. I help you to really not just like go out and get married as a goal, but really understand everything that goes into it, everything that gets in the way of it. So that you can cultivate a relationship that is really good for you and honors your relationship with God. I think far too often we have experiences where we are trying to do the right thing, but we've been given some not great manuals on how to do that. And so a lot of what I offer is unlearning the stuff that doesn't work and really leaning into the truth that sets us free, free to do what is good for us and what brings glory and honor to God. I want to make sure that everything we do and everything we use, we are using it as a tool that serves us as we serve God. Okay. This is not good. And we pray that through our conversation, you would help us to put things in order so that we are in a better position to live according to your will so that we can take responsibility for the things that we're responsible for and let go of the things that we cannot control. We pray that you would give each person here rest and peace and comfort as they go on this journey, seeking to understand what true love really means to create connection and belonging and a space where hearts can heal and grow and be together in a beautiful and divine way. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, so let's talk about trust within the scriptures. One of the scriptures that comes to my mind when I think about trust, and I'd love to get your input on this, are there specific scriptures that come up for you when you're thinking about trust? And if so, what are they? I'd love it if you could just, if you know them off the top of your head, put them into the chat. I would love to see what comes up for you when you think about trust. The one that comes up for me is Psalms 37 verse five. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. 
Now, this, I think, has created a lot of confusion around the order of things. I teach um, a tool, which I call the life code. And for those of you who have been here for a while, you understand this concept. I teach it in depth within the Foundations for Love program. And it's something I use with my clients all the time. But I want to give you a brief overview of what it is, because I think when we understand the natural flow of things, the natural order of things, it's much easier to work within it. Okay. So the life code is basically any moment in time. Remember, we're operating in time. Any moment in time, we can take a snapshot of it. Think of it like a movie and all of the different frames of a movie, right? And we can stop the movie and examine a specific frame at any given time. And it is in those, my, those details in each frame where we have tremendous power to change things. But only when we're working with the ways that God has created us to operate rather than against it. Most of the time, we are trying to go backwards and we need to figure out how to go forward. And I'm going to explain this. So in the life code, I share that everybody has circumstances. These are the things that do not change. It is our past. It is what has happened. It's what people have said. It's what you've said, what you've done. It is the circumstances, the situation. Okay. It's the problem. Usually it's the thing we want to change. There's something going on that is not ideal. Sometimes it's ideal, but if it's a thing we're praying about, the thing we're praying about is going to be our circumstance. So life. Life is happening and we're going to take that snapshot and figure out what to do with it. Because most of the time, our prayers and our petitions are asking God to change that top line, right? We think that's what a miracle is when God just changes it. But it it doesn't work like that because that involves changing the past and there's nothing wrong with the past. The past is what it is. It's neutral. And that can be very difficult for us as humans to kind of understand because our past can feel very painful or negative if something has happened that we don't like. And we can still be dealing with the repercussions, the consequences, the um, aftermath of it all in this moment. And that can feel extremely uncomfortable. But I want to offer you the idea that the past, everything that has happened, everything that is outside of your control is neutral, okay? Because it's not until you have thoughts about it that make it positive or negative. It is your thought about your life, whatever's happening, that's going to make you have an emotional experience, okay? So life is happening. And then you have a thought. Life will trigger lots of thoughts. You have about 40,000 thoughts every single day. There's a lot of frames in our movie, right? And so we want to just kind of take a snapshot and see what are your thoughts about life? Because that thought, each and every thought you have, it's like the hammer on a bell. 
and it is triggering a new emotion. And you're going to feel your thoughts in your body. You're going to have a physical experience of your thoughts. Okay. You're going to have feelings. You're feeling your thought. And if your thought is sad, you're going to feel sad. If your thought is frustrated, you're going to feel that frustration in your body. And just like a bell, it's going to ring for a minute. That thought is going to vibrate within you and you're going to feel that emotion for a little while, right? And if you keep having the same thought over and over and over again, as we often do, we get stuck in those thought loops, then you're going to feel that way over and over and over again. And when you have that thought and feeling, you're going to be triggered to take an action. Okay. Maybe it's, and sometimes there's a, there's a lot of different actions, like every verb that you could possibly do, go eat something, take a nap, go for a walk, call a friend, get like stew on it, scroll on Facebook. Like there's all the things that you can do positive and negative, no judgment there. It's just an action. And the result of your thought, emotion, and action is going to create a new result. This is where miracles happen. Okay. Most of us are trying to get God to change the circumstance for us. So we don't have to feel the way we feel. I believe that trusting God really means that we take the circumstance for what it is. It's neutral. And we sit with God until we can get to a place where we're feeling the fruit of the Holy Spirit instead of our negative emotions, where we're feeling love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, or something like that, right? That kind of tells us we're moving in the right direction. And so when we are moving in that direction, miracles begin to happen because we're letting go, we're surrendering our initial thoughts, we're processing them, we're surrendering, we're capturing them, we're handing them over to Jesus. And then we are adopting new thoughts and we are going to discern whether or not those new thoughts are in alignment with the will of God by the emotional reaction within our body. Does it cultivate the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Because if it does, you're on the right track. Go ahead and take action. We want to take action from love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? We do not want to be taking action from anger or bitterness or resentment because when we do, this is what the Bible says, like, you know, be angry, but don't sin. Have the emotional experience, but don't act on it. Don't let yourself be triggered to the point where you act out on those negative emotions, because you will not make choices that are in alignment with God, right? Instead, calm down, let those thoughts, the little hammers on the bells, stop hitting those, let them all quiet down, be still, know that God is God. There's nothing wrong with your circumstance. What happened? You might not like it, but if you want to create something new, let it go and adopt a new thought. Adopt the mind of Christ. Try to step outside of your perspective and look at God's perspective. What would he say about your situation? What would he want you to know about your circumstance? 
What does he want you to experience going forward? Okay. And if there's a particular emotion that you would like to feel, maybe you would like to feel more gentle. Maybe you're feeling really frustrated, but you'd like to feel gentle. Then we can start to ask ourselves, well, what would I need to think about my circumstance in order to feel more gentle? Does that make sense? Anybody got some questions on that? I know it's a little bit uh, counterintuitive, right? Because we really would prefer if God would change the circumstance, but God wants to work with us and through us. And the way he does that is when we are willing to surrender our initial thought, our initial opinion on what is going on and adopt his. That's when he can really, like, that's when we get to be his hands and feet on earth. And we get to be a channel for his peace and his love. Make sense? Now, we also want to look at the um, the proverb, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. This to me is where we make the switch, right? When we have those initial thoughts. And I think it's really, really important that we see those thoughts because most of the time they are just rushing through our brain over and over and over again, like a million miles a minute. And it's a blur. And most of us aren't even aware of the thoughts that we're thinking and the damage that they're doing. They're spiking our cortisol. They're stressing us out. They're causing us to overeat, over scroll, overdo a lot of things or underdo. We're like not living the life we want to because we're so stuck in our feelings and our feelings do not feel good. And oftentimes a lot of us are trying to numb them. We're trying to suppress them. We're trying to control them. We're trying to just wrestle with them. It's like there's this big ball of yucky, emotional, uh, and we're trying to keep it underwater so nobody sees it. And it takes up all of our energy. Like imagine being in the water with a big ball and trying to keep it under the water. You can do it until you get tired. And as soon as you stop trying to force it down, it's going to pop up again and hit you in the face right? And so rather than do that, we want to just allow the ball to be there and then let it come to the surface and deal with it in a very gentle and Christ-centered way. And this is what I help my clients do. We just sit with it for a minute. We explore what's going on. We take it apart. We examine it and we allow ourselves to experience the emotions because we recognize that emotions can't hurt us if we'll just let them be if we'll accept them, if we'll work with them. But when we resist them, they metastasize and they turn into tumors and headaches and gut issues and all of the rest. And so by allowing ourselves to experience our emotions, being still, surrendering them to God, and then adopting the mind of Christ, we begin to work in alignment with God. And from there, everything changes. It's like, (laughs) it's like you've been fighting an uphill battle the whole time. And then you find out, oh, we never needed to go uphill. We can go downhill. 
It is so much nicer this way and so much easier to work with the flow of God rather than against it. And if you look at any of the stories in the Bible, I want to send this out as a homework assignment. Look at any of the miracles that Jesus performed and really ask yourself, like we see, you know, God, Jesus curing people, but notice where the transformation happens. It's because of a new thought. Look at like when the paralyzed guy gets healed, when the lepers are healed, they had an original thought and Jesus offered them a new thought, a new perspective, a new opportunity. And the moment they believed the word of God, the word of Jesus, as soon as they believed it and believed it for themselves, everything changed. This to me is incredibly good news. Like so good. I hope you're all excited about it because it teaches us how we create miracles in our own life, because you can really have any result that you want. If it is a God-given result, like a God-given desire. God-given goals, God-given result. If you will get in alignment with the way God works, miracles are much easier to experience. And we work with it rather than against it. Questions, comments, insights so far. And question for you, have you ever experienced a situation where trusting in God's plan was challenging? And if so, how did you overcome it? And if you haven't overcome it, would you like me to help you? Because I can. Now, let's kind of dive into more of um, the spiritual practices for trust, right? Using prayer and meditation as a tool for building trust with God is really very powerful because it requires us to stop doing for a second. We're very caught up in our emotions and our actions. We're feeling a lot of things and we're doing a lot of things. And sometimes we're thinking a lot, but we're usually overanalyzing and intellectualizing it. I know I work with people and they're like, I think I'm processing my emotions because I've been thinking about it all day. But really, you haven't actually processed the emotion. You haven't allowed yourself to feel it. You've just intellectualized it. You've rationalized it, you've judged it, you've thought about it, but you haven't experienced it in your body. And when we do this, when I do this with clients, it's it's a very simple process of scanning your body, looking inside, noticing what's coming up for you. Where am I feeling? And treating your feelings like physical symptoms, okay? Where does it feel? Where do I feel it? Do I feel it in my chest? Do I feel it on my shoulders? Do I feel it in my face? Do I feel it in my legs? Do I feel it in my gut? Where in your gut? And then how big is it? Is it really big? Is it all consuming? Or is it this little gnawing feeling? What color is it? Does it, is it very dark? Is it very light? Does it change color? Is it kind of blurry? Is it a nice color? Is it an ugly color? Like all of these questions, we want to be very, very curious. What is the texture of it? Is it very heavy? Is it very dense? Is it kind of light and bubbly? Is it moving? And in what direction? Is it causing you to contract? Is it causing you to expand? 
We want to be very curious about our feelings because that's what it means not to just think about it and why we're feeling that way or how to make it stop, but allowing it to be there. We get curious, we look at it, we spend time with it, and then we find out it's not so scary. Most of the time, our emotions, especially the ones we consider to be negative, they they appear to us almost demonic. And they're very scary when they're in that state, when we have turned our negative feelings, and especially if we have disassociated from them, like I'm not like that. I'm not the kind of person who gets angry. I'm not whatever. And then we push those, those emotions further and further from us because we don't like to associate ourselves with that kind of feeling. They go down into the basement of our soul and lift weights. And they come back much bigger and stronger. And this is where we often fall into temptation because those big, scary, negative emotions tell us to do things that we don't necessarily want to do. Like our our truest desire doesn't really want to behave like that. But when those, those feelings that have gone down into the basement of our soul and lifted weights and have been stewing for weeks, months, sometimes years, when they come back, oftentimes we're too tired to fight it anymore. And we just give in and we let it be what it is. And we tell ourselves, you know what? I can't, I can't help myself. I can't do anything about this. This is just my cross to bear. This is my burden. This is my weak spot. And, and that's when we feel really defeated. And then we get into shame, right? Because we're not living in integrity. We're not living the life we want to. And then from shame, shame is where we just spiral, right? Then we get into addiction. We get into all of these negative places. We destroy our relationships and we're hard on ourselves and all of this stuff. And we isolate ourselves and it gets worse and worse and worse. And the biggest solution to shame is talking about it, bringing it back up and looking at it for what it is, right? And that's very scary. It's very uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk about shame. (laughs) It feels so bad. And we often think if we talk about it, if we give it our attention and voice, it'll get worse. But that is one of the biggest lies. It doesn't. Unless, uh, uh, let me, hang on. It can get worse depending on who you talk about it with. If you share with somebody an experience that you're very ashamed of when you're feeling that shame, there's a lot of people in your life who will probably make it worse because they'll like also take that on and be like, oh my goodness, that's so horrible. I can't believe you did that. And then the shame gets worse or they'll be like, oh, you think that's bad? Listen to what happened to me. And then we don't actually deal with the shame or they'll they'll just make it worse. Right. And so when you want to tackle the shame, you want to make sure you share, but you share with somebody who is in a healthy position to sit with you in that without muddying it up. And to me, that means somebody who is an emotional and spiritual adult um, who really won't take that on themselves or make it any worse because they don't understand how to deal with it. 
Um, and this can be found in a lot of different places, but just be aware of the kind of people that, because we don't have very many people like that in our lives. Those kinds of people are very rare, but those are the people where we will feel the most connection and belonging and understanding and genuine support and empathy. Okay. So we need to have those people in our lives, but notice who truly can fill that position for you. and. Be honest about the people who really aren't able to do that for you. It's not necessarily their fault. They just don't have that skill set and they don't know how to diffuse that shame storm, right? So when we're praying, I want you to think of prayer and meditation more in terms of sitting with God, sitting with those emotions and sitting with him long enough for that storm to settle. Oftentimes we go with all of these things on our heart and we're very upset or we're very like needy and graspy and we want and we're frustrated and we're just praying, God, please, what, why? Uh, and our all of our emotions are there, right? Not the great ones, but the frustrated ones. But to me, the real purpose of prayer isn't to change our circumstances. Because like I said, we don't worry about changing that. Don't try and change the past. Don't argue with reality. Become a channel for God to do something different through you. And sit with God long enough to come back to a baseline of love. Imagine that all of your emotions, all of your thoughts, all of that stuff is like leaves being whipped up in the wind. And by sitting with God, we're going to be still and we're going to let God calm the storm, quiet the waves, bring it all back down, get to that place of peace, and then explore what would God have to say about this. And then we want to be able to borrow that thought and adopt it as our own. And sometimes that can be very, very tricky because the truth will set us free. But often we can't handle the truth, right? Like Jesus was clear about this. He said to his apostles, there's so much more that I want to share with you. But you can't handle it yet. You can't handle the truth. And so sometimes we have to take little bite-sized pieces of the truth. We got to work with what we can incorporate into our lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just trusting the process that there are these big, beautiful truths that I will believe one day. But right now, I'm going to believe this part because this I can, I can fully accept. And I, it works for me because it brings me that peace and that security and that strength. So for example, a truth that is wonderful is um, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? That is true. God, you are perfect. Your body is perfect. Your face is perfect. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is nothing wrong with you, okay? You are designed to perfection. But we often have a lot of thoughts about our bodies and we do not feel fearfully and wonderfully made. And we cannot believe that truth yet. 
Okay. And so we want to just start with like very simple truths that we can believe. Like I have a body. God made this body. And just sit there. Let that be the first stepping stone on your way to much bigger, beautiful truths. Okay. Sometimes when we get into things like affirmations and positive self-thought and all of these things, we try to go from like zero to 60. We want to take these big leaps of faith and try to believe things that we don't believe. And the problem is our brain interrupts it all the time and just goes, eh not true. And then we focus more on the thing we do believe about our limits and our faults and our problems. We focus and we redirect our brain to that rather than giving our brain time to digest a new and better thought and be kind to your brains. They do not switch over easily. Okay. So we want to work with the brain, not against it. We want to give ourselves the time to think through and to feel these new thoughts, even though at first we're not going to be feeling amazing thoughts. We want to start with neutral feelings. Like I just feel calm. Maybe I'm not quite at peace yet, but I do feel calm. And from calm, I can take the next step towards love. And from love, I can take the next step towards joy and then towards peace. Does this make sense? Again, questions, thoughts, comments. Oh, Hope says, so true. And when I don't believe, it causes me to stop and not move forward with confidence. Yeah. Because confidence, confidence is such an interesting emotion, right? We cannot have confidence until we have courage. And courage starts with vulnerability. So to go from where you're at to confidence is a big leap, right? And you're going to need to move, like imagine stepping stones. The first step is going to feel like vulnerability, okay? Because it's going to be courage. And courage looks to everybody else like this amazing thing, like, oh, you're being so courageous. That's awesome. And they're so proud of you and excited for your courage. But on the inside, courage feels horrible. It feels like mush. (laughs) For me, it feels like not just butterflies in my stomach, but like on the verge of throwing up. Um, It feels scared. It feels like all of that doubt is there. It acknowledges that. It feels like I could die. This is risky. Like the brain is doing a lot when we're feeling those kinds of feelings, when we're feeling vulnerable, especially if we're going to still take action. So first you have to feel vulnerable and people don't want to feel vulnerable, right? We don't, we don't like putting ourselves in vulnerable situations, but that is the first step. From vulnerability, we start to experience successes or fails. Sometimes we get a lot of fails first, right? Sometimes we try to do something and it doesn't work the first time. And that's when we can really get into shame. Like I thought it was supposed to work. I tried. And oftentimes we don't want to try again, but that's usually what it's going to require is trying again and again and again and not letting our past attempts, our past failures discourage us and take away our courage. 
right? Because we've made ourselves vulnerable. And then we felt the consequences of being vulnerable. And sometimes that means it doesn't work. We fail and it hurts. I'm thinking about when my children were learning to ride their two-wheel bikes. They did not have confidence. All they had was vulnerability. All they had was their fear that they were going to fall down and it was going to hurt and that they might scrape their knees and they would bleed and they wouldn't like it. And that that to them was almost paralyzing and they really resisted getting on the bike. <laughs> and there was definitely some bribing involved. They're like, come on, if you just stay on it, we try it. I'll give you some Skittles at the end or something. Right. Um, so sometimes we have to reward ourselves for making those brave attempts. We have to really give ourselves reasons and incentives to try because otherwise we won't because it's just too scary. And our imagination of the potential failure is just too big. But I also really tried to help them create a vision for what it would be like when they do learn to ride their bike. Like we can go for family bike rides. We can go to the beach so much faster. We can do all of these things. And it's going to be so fun. You're going to love being able to ride your bike. Unfortunately, you're probably going to have to fall off your bike about a hundred times before you can ride your bike. But every time you fall off, we're just going to like celebrate like, yay, we only have to fall off 99 times now. Yay, it's only like 80 more times that you're going to fall off this thing. And look, you're, you've got this body that is capable of healing. That's so cool. And you've got like me, I'm going to help keep you up. I'm going to, you've got your helmet, your knee pads. And we create this space where it's a little bit easier for us to be vulnerable. Okay. And we move forward from there. And once we've been vulnerable and we discover that failing isn't going to kill us, then we start to gain confidence. Okay. Confidence is nice. Confidence is like, I can do this. Wow. Amazing. I'm like actually kind of good at this. And that is the, um, the steps forward. And so we, aren't going to start something with confidence. Okay. We're going to start things with vulnerability. We're going to be courageous and we will gain confidence by failing and discovering it's not going to kill us. And eventually having multiple successes that allow us to move forward. Cool. Um, Hope says, yes, the resistance is real for me too. Yeah. For all of us. I, at the same time, my kids were learning to ride their bikes. I was learning to drive standard. I hated it. I hated every moment. I had no confidence. I had only vulnerability. I remember being in the parking lot. My mom was helping me learn to drive and I could not, I couldn't, I couldn't get the car to go. I was stalling over and over and over again. There was a truck of guys beside me that were laughing at me. I just, I cried. I literally, I'm like, I'm too old to be crying about not being able to drive, but I'm sitting here because I felt embarrassed and overwhelmed and stupid. Like the thoughts, right? Lots of thoughts were coming up for me and they were just creating so much shame. And then I had to get a new thought of like, I can figure this out. This is just a car and I am a smart person. I will figure this out. And I still don't love driving standard. I will only do it if it's an emergency situation. But because I persisted with it, I can do it. 
And it's a skill that I have. And the only reason I was able to acquire it was because I was willing to push through that or allow for the discomfort. I just allowed myself, okay, we're crying about not being able to drive and people making fun of us. That's okay. And we're just going to go ahead and figure it out. And I did right now. How does this relate to you as a single person who's looking to date? Well, dating provides plenty of opportunities for us to fail, to try to have a, because what are we trying to do when we're dating? The ultimate goal pretty much is connection and belonging, right? Can I connect with this person? Can I feel like I belong with this person? Can we create that kind of a bond? And so you go out and you date and you meet somebody new and all the thoughts and feelings come up and you figure out like, this, there was no connection or this was a bad kind of connection. I did not like that dating experience and I don't want to experience it again. But in order to get to the goal of a relationship that is loving and kind and committed and Christ-centered, we have to go through that process of, you know, falling off the bike a hundred times or putting our heart in a vulnerable position a hundred times. And as Christian women, I'm sure that many of you have been told not to allow your heart to be vulnerable, to guard your heart, right? And I don't disagree. I think that we want to be protective of our heart, but we want to guard our heart with love, not from it. I think a lot of times we're afraid of love because we misconstrue it with a lot of other things that it is not. And so it's really important that we correctly define what love is. And this is very tricky because we have been um, exposed to a lot of different definitions of love. Think of, think of the movies, think of the songs, think of all of the ways that love has been described to you. But really what it boils down to is connection and belonging. We want to find somebody who we genuinely can connect with, who we genuinely feel like we belong with. And that connection and belonging is built and predicated on us being our authentic self, right? We're not pretending to be someone we're not. We're not being their ideal version of a girlfriend or wife. We are being who we are genuinely and allowing them to decide whether or not that's somebody they want to connect with and be in a long-term relationship with. Does that make sense? Norma, oh, Hope says this is very helpful and that I've explained it well. Thank you, Hope. I appreciate that. And Norma says, I'm trying to learn how to deal with my oldest granddaughter who has mental issues. She's very disgruntled, not heeding to wise counsel, just doing bad things that has caused her to get in trouble with the law and me to obtain a protection against abuse order against her. First, Norma, I just want to say, I'm sorry that you're experiencing that. It sounds like a very challenging situation and notice our judgment around it. Like I, and this is where it gets tricky, right? Because these are circumstances that are very personal to us, right? Like I never want to 
make it sound like, oh, everything is fine. Like, it's okay. No, these are like real circumstances that have real consequences in our lives where people will be genuinely impacted and decisions that we make can, you know, make all the difference in the world. And they're not easy. And so I don't want to sugarcoat. I never want to sugarcoat it. But think about it this way. You're, this is your granddaughter, right? And you have a lot of thoughts about your granddaughter. So the granddaughter is what we would put in the lifeline up at the top. And then you've got lots of thoughts about her. She is doing bad things. She is getting into trouble. I have to do this. So when you're having these thoughts about her, how are you feeling, right? What are those thoughts bringing up? And I would break it down thought by thought. Oftentimes we kind of mush them all together, but we can really break it down one at a time. I would just borrow the one of um, she's doing bad things. So we've got the granddaughter. The thought is she's doing bad things. And then how do you feel when you think that? probably judgmental, like judgment and uh, probably justified, which is why you're bringing like the reaction you took was obtain an abuse order against her. Like this feels like the right action. And I'm not saying it isn't by any means, but notice what's happening. And then ask yourself, how do you want to feel towards your granddaughter? I like to kind of explore what does God think and feel towards your granddaughter? He loves her. What else does he think about her? And then from there, we can start to borrow his thoughts. And we never want to like be in denial of reality. We want to accept it for what it is. She's doing, she's getting into trouble. You've got a granddaughter who's getting into trouble. What does God think about this situation? Okay. And from there, we'll know we're on the track, right track. If we're finding a place that finding thoughts that allow us to get to a place of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? And maybe love right now looks like boundaries, right? Which is exactly what you've said. You know, you, you created that restraining order and that's a beautiful thing for this circumstance at this time but also explore where can it go from here? What's next? Okay, well, thank you so much. This is the wrap up of our trust series. Next month, we're gonna take on a new theme and I would love your input. What would you like to discuss next? If you wanna put it in the chat box, I'd love to gather your thoughts now, but if you wanna send me your ideas um, via email, please do. And if you would like some support working through your own thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, please let me know. And I would be happy to get on a coaching call with you and walk you through this step-by-step so you can really understand how to create this in your own life and start participating in the miracles that are all around us. Until next week, you have a beautiful time and I will see you then. Bye for now.